Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Mary Terhoon, and we're going to be discussing a lot about her journey as an endurance athlete. If you didn't know, Mary was one of the best NCAA runners in her freshman year. She set her school record for the 800, and she was competing at a national level, and unfortunately, As you'll find out, the rest of her journey didn't go as smooth sailing as it started. And we're going to kind of dive in and discuss the reasons why and how she actually used the things that happened to her to become a stronger and overall happier person. And really, we like to apply that to you, too, because in life, you're not what has happened to you. You're what you choose to become. Before we get to this amazing episode, here's a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by CTM Band and CTM Recovery Products. These are the exact soft tissue recovery tools that I'm using on myself and with my patients day in and day out. CTM Band was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling, a sports medicine practitioner who treats professional athletes, and he was a former guest on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can check out his website at the link below and use the coupon code BRAWN10 to save 10% off your order from CTM Band. Mary, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you on today. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me. For people who aren't familiar with your social media accounts and your story in general, would you mind kind of sharing a little bit about who you are and where you've been, what you've done? Yeah. Well, I'm here because of a TikTok video that kind of went viral. But besides that, um, I do have like a bit of a social media presence because I've been trying to, you know, post my artwork on TikTok and, you know, post other shenanigans of my life on social media, TikTok and Instagram. And a lot of that is mostly about my art. But, you know, sometimes I decide to spice it up with other parts of my life because I've had a very interesting journey. (laughs) Yeah, so... A little bit about myself. Um, I'm one year graduated out of college. I went to St. Lawrence University, which is in upstate New York. It's a small liberal arts college, um, very tiny, about maybe 3,000 students. And, you know, when I was in high school, I did track and field. I was very sporty in high school. I did like basketball, track and field, swimming. Yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of things. And I decided I want to keep doing, um, track and cross country so I decided to go to a small school so that I could be able to like have it all you know have the academics the study abroad um, athletics and really continue that so you know that was something really interesting to decide was I'm gonna continue to do this in college and run for a division three program Um, so I found myself running in college we can get into the details, but long story yeah, short, for sure, for sure. so I, <laughs> I find it interesting that you went to St. Lawrence because uh, I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania, so I actually know that area pretty yes. well. It's up northeast of Watertown away, so yes. more north than east. You even know what Watertown is. That's good. Yep. Yep. And um, the Thousand Islands are up there. Mm-hmm. Amazing area. It's just funny that you went there of all places um, because, you know, I meet, I work with people from all over the place and it's very rare. I you know, work with people that are from kind of my neck of the woods, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And yeah. You, you mentioned that you wanted to run in college. You went D3 so that you could do that. Mm-hmm. So St. Lawrence was a D3 school. You went there because you wanted to run. What was mm-hmm. that like running in college and that whole mm-hmm. journey and transition from high school to the college level? 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question because, you know, in high school, I feel like the idea of running in college or like doing a sport in college was so hyped up, especially where I went to high school, like athletics were really, you know, big part. And I think it's a big part of a lot of, um, you know, like high schoolers life. If you're into athletics, it's a big deal to say, I'm going to run in college or I'm going to play this in college. And, you know, you get to sign the, you know, national letter of intent if that's what (laughs) happens. And it's a big deal. So but for me, honestly, it felt natural. I was like, how am I just going to stop doing this? Because it's been such a big part of my life. Um, I had a lot of talent for it. And I was getting, you know, letters in the mail from all kinds of schools, um, from Division One to Division Three, the Naval Academy, like all kinds of places. Um, and then you go on the college tours, you know, you meet the coaches and you're like, all right, like, you know, this is me. Tell me about your school. But honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I just was like, I just went to the schools and was open-minded and talking to the coaches really kind of set the precedent tone of like what it's going to be like um you know I'm a pretty lighthearted person and I'm competitive at the same time but I went to some schools um I also toured division one schools so I went to University of Richmond the Spiders and talked to their coach and I just remember thinking like oh my God, this is very intense. Um, You know, I'm not at the level where I'd be getting tons of money thrown at me for a scholarship, but I definitely could be like committed to run a division one program. And the coach was talking to me like, yeah, you're going to have to, you can't do study abroad. You know, you have to really train hard. And I know that's true, but I was like, this is a little bit much for me. So that really shied me away from running division one, just the pure um, intensity and the already off the bat like yeah study abroad's off the bat and I was like really for just one season you know it was a little intense for me so choosing to run division three like took a lot of that pressure off me um and honestly division three is very competitive especially in the northeast that's why I was attracted to some of those schools um they have a really strong athletics reputation so when I first started that transition um it felt pretty easy I mean I got to college and we had our preseason camp and you just kind of fell right into um, the mode of everything. And I was pretty used to it, like having that team culture and atmosphere. So honestly, it was pretty seamless at first. Um, preseason was 10, 10 days or so in a camp and it was really fun. Um, you had a bunch of freshmen with you. It wasn't bad. Honestly, that, that initial transition wasn't bad. Um, Right. So everything started off nice and smooth. You decided to go D3 over the D1, D2 schools because you actually wanted to have a little bit of a life outside of running. And it sounds like you also wanted to have some kind of control. And unfortunately, when you go to those higher levels, you lose that aspect of control. Like you said, you know, you're you wouldn't be able to study abroad. You wouldn't be able Mm -hmm. to do other things that you wanted Mm -hmm. to do. And ultimately, it's your life, so you should be the one in charge of the reins, steering it wherever you want to go. And if you want to be able to explore opportunities like study abroad, Mm -hmm. or you want to do other things outside Mm -hmm. of running. So I know that you're very into art and artistic type stuff. We can talk Mm -hmm. about that in a little bit. Uh, But naturally, it would be pretty hard, I would imagine, to balance your passions and hobbies like that with the full-time demand of running and school Mm -hmm. yeah I mean honestly it's it's pretty tough to say but 
seems like no matter what division it is, it's a huge commitment. It, um, I can only speak for the experience I had with um, distance running, but I feel a lot of distance runners can relate, but oh my gosh, like the amount of time put in to distance running in college is pretty insane. Um, I mean, not only are your practices, I mean, I know every college athlete practices for a long time, but like sometimes our runs can be quite long and it just like feels like forever. You know, you go out for like an hour long run then you get back, you stretch, you do, I mean, every athlete, you know, has their woes, but I can just speak as a distance athlete. It's a lot. And not to mention when you're running distance, there's no off season. Um, I always envied um, other sports where their season ended and they had an off season and off season practices. I never had that. <laughs> it was, you know, in the summer, you've got cross country training. So you're building your base of mileage, which is all summer, very important. And then you get into fall, it's cross country, you're competing. Um, and because my team did so well, we competed all the way through nationals. And then, you know, you go home, it's Thanksgiving break, you come back and indoor track starts and you're training still. <laughs> and then you're competing. Um, you know, it seems like every weekend indoor seems very like repetitive. Um, so you're competing every weekend for indoor. And then, you know, I went to nationals for indoor and then I go on spring break, then come back and outdoor starts and outdoor ends. <laughs> And then it starts all over again. And it just like all the competition, it really gets to you. It's a lot. <laughs> right. You're right. You said you never really had any time off or day off. And mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. So when I've worked with endurance athletes in the past from a fitness and training standpoint, we actually scale their training back a little bit in intensity and overall volume. Uh, we I tend to follow the 80-20 principle. We outlined that with Dr. Scott McGeary back in February for endurance training. And it's interesting how a lot of coaches and professionals that work with endurance athletes are completely unfamiliar with that. And they just are stuck in this belief that more is better and that the key to endurance success is volume. And then you end up having, you know, college age, girl, college age girls running 60, 70, 80, I've heard even up to 100 miles a week in some cases, which to me is insane because- Yes, that's you know, insane. I I, um, I did one day where I ran 10 miles in a day. I did one of those. There's this term I've heard a lot from college runners. They call them like shakeout runs. Yes. I did a three mile one of those. And then I did a seven mile workout that had a warm up seven 400 meter repeats with 400 mm -hmm. meter cool down in between and then like a three mile cool down it was something that i had taken from someone on the uh, college cross country team right and i remember getting done and i go i feel like crap after this like and i was in shape mm -hmm. at the time for running but i just felt awful terrible completely drained i didn't want to do anything for the rest of my day yeah and i got thinking about it and i'm like that can't be good for people one mm -hmm. and two the human body's meant to move. So what mm -hmm. happens to the human body when all your movement comes from running, right? When you get yeah. done from running, you probably don't want to, you know, go for a walk or a hike through the park or anything like that. You probably mm -hmm. don't want to hit a yoga session or the weight room. Mm -hmm. You probably just want to like lay down and be done for the day. So it, it's amazing to me how we're stuck in this mindset that more is better. And we just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing because uh, as you know, at least as I'm sure you know, that doesn't always work out well in the long run for endurance athletes. 
definitely. Like I have a lot to speak on with this because it really irks me that, I mean, especially the program I was in seemed to really preach the overtraining. And unfortunately, a lot of other programs do the same. Um, and it's really upsetting because it's truly unhealthy. Um, and honestly, I, like I was fed the narrative from my coach that a day off is bad. Like it was very much like that was the idea. And sure, we, we were granted days off, but it was more like a treat or like, a, oh my God, like I remember I had like, I hit a breaking point and it was sort of like, we'll give you a day off and I was like what like this is normal like it's not like a like a treat or like a like you've had a really hard week like have a day off it's like this is essential to training is days off and resting so I would get so um worked up about the overtraining and especially now that I'm not in the sport and I kind of can now that you're outside of it you can see much clearer um and that's something I can talk a little bit about later and like the experience phasing out of not running but when you're in it, it's honestly insane the amount of fatigue it puts on your body. And the fact that I could finish a workout just fine. Like, you know, I could do a, you know, those workouts add up, you know, you have the, the warm up, the workout, the cool down, and then you've got what, like eight miles in for a workout in the day, even on race day, it's the same thing. You have your race, but you've got a two mile cool uh, warm up and a two mile cool down. And then you've got like, I don't know, pretty bulky, heavy mileage day. And then after race day, you have your long run, which is, um, I forget the exact percentage, but it's something like 25, 30% of your weekly mileage. I was doing 10 mile long runs. Um, but anyways, it, it's a lot of miles in a short amount of time. And, you know, by the time your workout's over, all you want to do is actually like collapse. <laughs> like the stroll to breakfast is fine. When you're on a campus, when you have to walk around, it's tough. And, you know, you have morning practices and you do that. And I remember like falling asleep in class and I'm not like a sleepy person, but when your body is put through that, all you want to do is like kick your feet up and do nothing. Like, oh yeah. I remember those days where you just like finish your workout and you're working in the library and you don't want to get up. <laughs> the thing that really stands out to me is you're saying all these things and feeling that way. And people, you know, need to remember that you're not just the average run of the mill runner. Like you were mm -hmm. literally one of the best. Your team went to nationals and cross yeah, country. You uh, you set a record from what I understand yeah. in 800 meter uh, mm -hmm. for the school. Mm -hmm. You went to nationals for the 800 meter. Um, and you, uh, I think you were the rookie of the year as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I should do a little bit of bragging or just to like set the tone of like you earned it <laughs> yeah okay here we go um so yeah I came in and I think what really changed it was like a lot of training that summer taking summer training seriously and um you know really training hard like putting in the miles which did me well but also did not at the same time but yeah I did um I like quickly took off with success um I remember, you know, a couple meets into cross country, I was like, wow, I'm really like, you know, I'm in the top seven, which if you're not familiar with in cross country, you could have a team of 20 girls um, and the top seven in a race are scores. So everybody races and everyone's a part of the team, but the top seven are like kind of like the meat of the team where they're scoring points um, to advance your team and for placement. And I quickly found myself in the top seven and I was like, oh my God, like, oh, like, I'm doing well, which is awesome. But at the same time, a little nerve wracking. 
but yeah, I, I did really well. I was on the top seven for cross country nationals um, my freshman year and my sophomore year. And then an indoor track, I really like smashed it with um, mid distance. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I just really took off running, especially with cross country under my belt and going into mid distance, which is like my jam. So being able to only race like half mile, mile, 400 really felt good after doing cross country so intensely. Yeah, I broke my school record. Then I broke it again the next week. Um, and, you know, I kind of like built up a reputation as like, you know, being one of the best runners in the North country. It was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I was very talented. And then you got the opportunity to go to nationals and compete yeah. under the national spotlight in the 800 meter, yeah. is that correct? Yes, that was really exciting. I had seen I was in the top five, you know, you can watch the standings. That's the fun thing about track. And that's something I really miss is you watch um, the standings that NCA puts out or TFRS, TFFRS. Um, so you're watching the times and the rankings, you know, because track is so easy to rank with just numbers. So I saw I was in the top, you know, top five for the 800 in, in NCA D3 when I broke my record. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. So I kind of knew like I could be going to nationals. I just got to keep, keep the times fast and keep improving. And when I qualified for nationals, I was so excited. Um, another one of my teammates qualified. So it was really fun to have a, another guy there. Um, yeah, nationals was quite, I didn't even know what to expect going into it. It was exciting and kind of weird because I was going solo. I didn't have any teammates to be there with me except for one of the men's members running the 60. That experience was really cool. I really felt like I did earn it and I deserved to be there. Um, but I definitely was a little bit nerve, nerve, like shocked with the nerves because I was just a freshman and I was there alone. I was used to going to nationals with my team for cross country. You have everyone's nervous as a team, but you're all like, okay, let's do this. But when it's just an individual, a coach, and you know, a couple others, it's a little weird, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So what happened during that race when you were running the 800? Did you feel like, I'll say like a little bit of pressure in one way that yeah. you, know, you had to do well because you're ranked high and, you know, you're from the great uh, program, a great college running program and all eyes are on you, so to speak, or? Yeah, I would say that, you know, that whole day was such a long day because you're sitting in the stands watching everyone compete. And you hear the gun, like, you know, for everyone's race and it's not yours. And it's just, you know, you're, you're more and more worked up because it's getting closer and closer to your event and they call you for warmups. And for me, the performance anxiety I was dealing with was so bad. I just felt very moody. You know, I didn't want anyone to talk to me because I was super um, anxious and nervous about the race. And when the time finally came, I was just like, it's pretty nerve wracking. You have a basket and you put all your stuff in the basket. You walk out on the track. And, you know, they announce your name with your lane and you're just like, ah, is this really happening right now? <laughs> um, and I remember the fastest woman, forget her name, but she would win like four events at nationals. She was in my heat very fast. I think she signed like professional later, but she was in my heat. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm really in this, you know? Um, but during that race, like I was pretty excited, but um, I knew that my teammates were watching it at home, like streaming it. And like, it was a big party. They were all watching it together. And I was thinking of that and like, oh, pretty nerve wracking. But I got like boxed, 
boxed in during the race and kind of fell behind and didn't really finish the way I wanted to. Um, I can't really like speak on what happened during the race because it's just so quick and before you know it, it's over. And it's a little disappointing because I definitely didn't do what I wanted to do. And the hardest thing is that I did not run a time that was fast for me. I think I ran between, I think I ran like 216 and a couple weeks prior, I ran 212. So I was pretty mad that I couldn't like rip a good time. And to see that the time I, my PR could have ranked me very well was upsetting, um, definitely. Um, Cause sure you can run these fast times, but are you able to execute that during the race that's necessary? <laughs> that doesn't always happen. Right, right. And I would imagine that there's a lot of other factors that went into that too. You meant, we talked a little bit about the pressure mm -hmm. and the anxiety that you felt mentally, but there's also the fact that you probably traveled to a place you'd never been before. Um, yeah. I know the cross country nationals for D3 are in Kentucky. I'm not sure about the um, track and field nationals, but you're in a unfamiliar area mm -hmm. with a whole lot of people that you don't know all of a sudden. Yeah. And, you know, the anxiety and other effects that come with traveling, being in an unknown area, being mm -hmm. unfamiliar with things, and even sometimes just the food that you eat when you're on the road or traveling, mm -hmm. it's not always the same as, you know, the stuff yeah. that you can cook and prepare yourself at home before a meet, before a race, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, before any kind of big stressful event, people respond to stress in a variety of different ways. And some people, they get very nervous. I was just talking with an individual the other day who presents at these national conferences. And he says, yeah, I just, I get really nervous before I go out there. Like, you know, I get the armpit sweat. Like I change shirts before I go out on the stage, that sort of thing. And I've talked with other people who they say, you know, uh, like Reagan Rust, we had her on the podcast a while back. She was like, yeah, you know, before we went out for a D1 hockey game, the whole team would just line up by the stalls in the bathroom and everyone hit the bathroom because everyone was so stressed and that's how it hit them. So it's just kind of, you know, stress hits everyone in different ways mm -hmm. and you, you have to be in tune to what that is for you and your body, because if you don't know what that's like and you don't know what effects it's going to have on you, then being unprepared for those to happen will probably cause more harm than good or cause you to stress even more about something that's already stressful enough. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And like looking back on, you know, that like nationals weekend, I mean, I was stressed, but I was also like really excited and happy about it. But I think that minus my teammates being there, it made it very difficult because it's like, I mean, it seems really fun. Like you're somewhere new, but at the same time, you're, you're pretty much like in a hotel room all day alone. Um, you know, my coach at the time didn't really want us like going out and doing stuff, which makes sense. Like, I don't know if it does make sense, but I would love a little distraction <laughs> through all those nerves, you know, but I just, I remember like sitting in my hotel room by myself and usually you have a teammate with you and you're just kind of like, you're both nervous, but you're just like nervous together and you're just goofy. But you know, when you're alone, you're just like, oh my God, like, waiting for your race and it's pretty annoying but I definitely can relate to this stress like at least that day I was very like no one talked to me like I'm in the zone but I was really just like shutting everyone out because I was so anxious inside and I I will say like after that race I like I remember it finishing and then I kind of like I don't I wouldn't say stormed off the track but there's an area where you can cool down and I immediately went there 
and just cried because I don't know it was a mix of relief because all the stress I had was gone but also disappointment um that I didn't have the race I wanted to so I just remember wanting to get away and just like do my cool down outside and I was it was a strange mix of like complete relief but also disappointment and I think that having those emotions in that time like really proved to me how severe the stress I was under was because I don't know like I can't imagine like crying and being so relieved that a race is over is like a good thing I know in cross country like I would feel that way but it's such a like a long event that when you finish you know it's like you have just like this emotional outburst you're like oh my god I can't believe I finished that but in that track race I just remember feeling like I don't want to go through that stress again like I knew that the stress of my body before races was so heavy. I just like didn't understand it, like the stress I was going under. Um, And it took me a while to understand that that's just like anxiety and a lot of athletes have it. But for me, I was just like, oh, like, I don't know how to deal with this. And like, it was pretty uncomfortable, like with cross country. you know, you have morning races and you'd like eat in the hotel beforehand, but I would, I would wake up in my stomachs and knots, you know, and I couldn't sleep. And, you know, I think it's very normal to talk about some of those symptoms because some people may think like, oh, something's wrong with me. But I think a lot of people have, you know, some sort of bodily issue before a, before a race. But for me, it was like a food in my mouth just made me want to throw up. I was so nervous all the time. And that made me feel like more anxious, not thinking I had enough fuel in my stomach before a race and like the feeling like I was going to throw up my breakfast because I was so nervous and not having food in me to run a four mile race. You know, I was like, oh, my God. And it gets you in a loop of thinking. Um, but, yeah, the those symptoms are very real. <laughs> right. And I think it's important for people to remember that running itself is a very stressful activity right Mm -hmm. so I I think the guy that won the first marathon um, I forget his name right off I believe he was Greek I believe he died after he like ran that distance which to me says a lot like the dude literally died from running a marathon Mm -hmm. Um, but running in general is not the kind of thing that like speaking from a evolutionary or ancestral or just timeline perspective of humans here like people would run to escape things that were trying to kill them right so if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger you're gonna run faster than that guy to get the heck away and don't get eaten but there wasn't really this concept of exercise being beneficial for health there wasn't really this concept of gyms or that sort Mm -hmm. of thing you know thousands of years ago so running was something you did out of necessity And as a result, when people run, they see increases in this hormone called cortisol, which is also known as your stress hormone. And it's meant to increase because it helps to fuel your run. It breaks down body fat and your body's going to use that as energy to keep you running or in the case of, you know, thousands of years ago to keep you alive, keep you moving forward. However, over time, We take something that was already a stressful activity and attach all these other stressors to it. And all of a sudden, things get blown way out of proportion. And I think it's important to remember, this is not a unique impacting one or two people kind of thing. This impacts a ton of runners. 
I've talked with girls in the college level and in the professional level who have made it a point to say like, you know, literally when I'm running, I literally pee myself while I'm running. And to me, that doesn't seem normal, but to them, that's just, that's how it is. That's a way of life. Um, and you mentioned the point that you get nauseous and your stomach gets uneasy before you run. And I've heard that same thing from a lot of other people. I've heard sometimes it's so bad that they just don't eat at all because of that feeling they get, which, mm -hmm. you know, if it's just, you know, a snack quick before you run, like maybe you don't have your rice cake or your banana that day. Okay. No harm, no foul. But when it's a whole meal or multiple meals before you go out and run and burn calories by the hundred and that stacks up over time and compounds over time, that can really have a drastic impact on you both in the short term and the long term. And I think that people that aren't in the running world or don't get as into it as someone who runs at the college level, because keep in mind, only 7% of athletes actually play in college at any uh, level at all. For those who haven't been there, it's very difficult for them to relate to because they don't understand or go through the same stressors of life as a college athlete and life as a competitive athlete in general, I'll say. Nutrition and running, I think that's just like such an interesting thing for a lot of athletes, but especially runners. Like, I think that it's important to talk about issues that a lot of people don't talk about in running. And I feel like eating disorders is one that people are afraid to talk about with cross country and distance running. But at the same time, like, it's almost like an elephant in the room. Like, why are we ignoring it? Um, and that's tricky because running and honestly, any sport when you're an athlete, there's a hyper fixation on nutrition and it can be very easy to take that, take that focus and turn it into a little bit of an obsession. And it's unfortunate that that's such a common issue with running and some of the, I would say like myths that come with some of those health things with running and it's something I really wish to see be ended within the sphere of distance running and like the idea of like there's good and bad food and honestly when you're running so much um, it's mostly important just to make sure you're getting food and not worrying about is it the right food and it, it's very um, tricky especially people talk about runners bodies um, that there are certain types of bodies that are like oh you've got a runner's body which people would say is maybe um, you're slender, maybe you're taller. Um, and I really like hate that <laughs> because <laughs> anyone, if they can move, they're a runner. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that there's a lot of things that are said to people that run that are, you know, not healthy. Um, and like, I'll say when I was running a lot and I was doing really well, a lot of people would ask me things like, what are you eating? What's your diet? Like, you're doing so well. What, what, what are you like? How, what's everything you're doing? Like, give me your secrets. And I'm just like, I just eat whatever I want. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> people are looking for like some sort of hack to get better. But so it made me a little uncomfortable because I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm just eating what I like whatever you know I don't do anything special you know but I just wanted to throw that out there and talk about you know the importance of keeping your health up with nutrition um and yeah I can talk more about it but I'm just not sure which specific route to go with that <laughs> yeah oh well, I mean I think you hit the nail on the head that 
in general, one, you have to make sure you're eating to match the demands of the activity that you have. Yes. That's true with any profession, any sport, any type of athletic endeavor. Two, I think you hit the nail on the head again when you brought up the point of what a runner's body is, because we don't think about body type with other sports, right? Like we look at basketball. I've seen basketball players that are literally over seven feet tall. I've seen basketball players that are five, eight, five, nine, and they're all in the NBA, right? So they're top of the top, best of the best, so to speak. So why is it that they're, you know, so drastically different in build, yet they're all playing at such a high level? To me, it's less about the shape or size or build of someone in the sport that they're doing and more about what they can do, right? Just because someone is structured a certain way does not really tell me what their overall function with that activity is going to be. And third, like you said, nutrition is not a one-size-fits-all type deal here. Mm -hmm. It has to be individualized and customized. And what I eat will look different from what you eat, and that'll look different from what someone else eats. Mm -hmm. Everyone's very different. And some of that is just, you know, the demands of the sport or activity. Some of that is overall build, like how much muscle mass you have, that sort of thing. And some of that is even different, like ethnic, cultural influences, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you grew up eating like authentic Italian food for every meal, you're probably not going to like it when someone puts down like a very fake Italian type food. Like, um, I I don't want to say any main restaurant names, but I'm sure we can all think of at least one that takes Italian food and completely Americanizes it, right? Mm -hmm. So we take all these different factors, even just overall, like what you're interested in, right? So like me personally, I like to eat like a lot of like protein rich foods, animal sources, that sort of thing, which is totally fine. But someone else might say, you know, what? I don't want to do anything like that. I want to eat more plant based and I want to go vegan. And if you want to do that, then, hey, that's all well and good. You do you. Um, and we found at least the research suggests that it doesn't really matter so much as to what you're eating, as long as you're eating properly and doing it the right way. Uh, we did an episode back in April with Dr. Philip Prince where we kind of dug deep into that in endurance athletes. He's studied high level endurance athletes and they've looked at high carb diets versus low carb diets. And they basically find that after you've, you know, adjusted to a diet for a few days, there's not really any change in performance. So it doesn't matter if you're the guy who loads up on, you know, steak and, you know, puts the stick of butter in your coffee and that sort of thing. Or if you're the person who wants all the carbs in the world, your performance probably won't change too much based on what you're eating in that sense. Yeah, that's very interesting. And like, honestly, that's, I feel like more people need to hear that because there's such a obsession with food and running. Um, And I feel very happy. I don't like have that anymore, but just being like, oh my God, like I need to get the chicken with the greens and then this and then that. And then it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, I speak on this just to relieve other people if they've dealt with this, but when there's so much of like this focus on, I need my fuel to run, um, I definitely lost a lot of my appetite because I was looking at food as part of my running. It was no longer like a pleasure, like, oh my God, yummy, this restaurant looks great. It was like, I need to get my 
I don't know. I don't, I never like did the whole macros thing, but it was like, you know, sort of just like, I need to get my, my elements of food to eat. And it was never like, Ooh, I love this dish. It's so tasty. It was more like, I don't know, I compare it to like a machine needing like gasoline and sure. That's one way to look at it, but I, it really ruined a lot of my like joy and pleasure around food. Um, just cause you know, I felt like a machine. I was an athlete just like burning through it all. And I'll share that to, um, any like listener who feels that way. It just like, it can reduce your, um, quality of life because you don't, everything's sort of attached to this like performance. Right. Right. You go home for Thanksgiving and you look at all the amazing food out in front of you and you decide, mm-hmm. you know, I can't have the pie today because I've got mm-hmm. to run tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You go, you know what? I, I can only have so much of this because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too heavy for my run or whatever. And yeah. It's, it's like, thing, oh, I've right? got to run later. Like, I don't want to eat this like dairy ups in my stomach or that like, it just becomes like all about running, but it's like food is like the best part of life. You know, yeah. <laughs> so you start like, I agree. <laughs> so you start just like, I don't know, the only way you're looking at food is through the lens of running and if it's going to fuel your body to run. But what if you, you know, like, I don't know, it's just like you don't need to look at things all through the lens of running, which was what really was like eating away at me inside Um, when everything was every point of my life was through the lens of running, which doesn't need to be at all. How did that kind of mindset of you looked Mm -hmm. at everything in life in this in the light of running I'll say how did that go on to impact the rest of your college career as a runner um I would say for me that mindset was definitely a tipping point um I for my personal identity it really bothered me that everyone the only thing people knew me as or talked to me about was running oh you're that runner oh which is cool people like can recognize you for that skill but it started to really bother me um I felt reduced to just like a performance, like, oh, like you're really good at this. It's like, okay, like, thank you. But at the same time, like I, there's so many parts of myself that I enjoy like exercise, like exerting myself in besides running. And like, maybe it's like other talents I have, maybe my academics, like I know I'm very smart. I'm an artist. Like I do all these different things, but when everybody knows you as one thing, it can be a little bit really mentally taxing um and I'm trying to like get back in the shoes of where I was but you know when everyone views you as a runner and like everything you do is like for running like oh I gotta sleep to run oh I have to like uh, make sure my feet are rested to run so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go for that walk with my friend because I'm gonna be tired later for practice or oh it's the weekend um I'm having a hard time like letting loose with my friends because I know I have like something coming um, for practice or whatever. Um, It's always on your mind. Um, And it, you know, when you have that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a comparison, but honestly there is none other than just thinking like everything is for running. Um, It can really make you lose touch of other parts of yourself, which I think is very mentally unhealthy. That was definitely enough for me to think like, okay, this is really starting to get to me like when people would be like oh my god like you're that runner and I would just be like oh my god like it was to the point where I was like oh my god I have a name like I'm a student like I <laughs> I would get really irked about it um but that was a sign for me that you know I have so many parts of myself that I want to do a little bit more than just run right right 
And as you said, people start to associate you or identify you as the girl who runs. You are the runner, period. Mm -hmm. And they don't think of anything else in your life. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening with your running career in college? Did you bring you forward or did that end up having more of an impact than you thought? And what did you do to kind of shift that mindset from, you know, I'm a runner, I'm a runner to all of a sudden sport ends one day? Now what are you? Yeah, it was my sophomore year and we had just completed, we just got done with our winter break and we had to come back a whole week early to train. I don't know, had to come back. Our break was three weeks. So I went back a week early from my home. I remember this really well, but I just was miserable. Like I was like, why did I come back early? We're training for a meet that was pretty small, like, in terms of competition for me, like it wasn't good competition and like kind of not a high caliber me. And I was like, why am I here early? Like missing all this time at home just to be in the dorms alone, whatever. And that's when I really was like, I got to end this. Like I, I had been talking about it with people saying, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And that was something that was the first step, very challenging to say to a teammate hey, like, this is really hard. Have you ever thought about not doing this? You know, and I remember like, actually before nationals and cross country, I was talking with my roommate, you know, who was sharing a room with. And I was like, hey, like, you've been on the team like a little bit longer than me. How are you doing this? And, you know, she told me like, I don't know how I did this sort of thing. And I was like, well, I'm happy I'm not insane. Cause it, you know, it feels like you're insane for wanting to stop when everyone's just like going through the motions of it. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. But inside I was dying inside. I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I just became very angry at practices, like not outwardly, but very inwardly angry, angry at my coaches. Um, just feeling like very moody about the whole sport. And I just felt like I was alone in that feeling when everyone else seemed to just be like going through the motions of it, I was like, how are they doing this? Like when the coach is saying X, Y, Z and like, how are they ignoring all this? Like whatever. Um, It came to a point where it was the meet that we were preparing for that we came back early and I had a race. I think I remember my coach saying like, I want you to hit this goal for this race and I was like that's pretty ambitious like kind of like what's the point like it's just the first meet back like whatever and I was already like you know not really um a big fan of my coach at this time because I was pretty angry at a lot of the things going on and I just remember thinking like really I have to run this time and I don't even want to be here like I just felt like everything I was doing it and I didn't want to so I remember racing and I wasn't hitting my splits for the race. And I just was internally shutting down. I was just like, I hate this. Like I, and that's the worst thing when you're in a race and you're starting to spiral inwardly, that's a whole nother, um, whole nother low. <laughs> that's the worst. Um, and I remember f- finishing the race and didn't hit my times. And my coach didn't even look at me and I knew I like kind of did a bad thing. Like I didn't do what was expected and I felt so just done with it. I was like, I, I can't be expected to do something I don't want to do, especially when I really don't want to do it. And this race really showed me that 
when you don't want to do something and you do it, it feels terrible. And I remember finishing the race and internally saying that was it. <laughs> like that, I will never forget that. I went up to a teammate and I said, I think that might be like my last race. And honestly saying that makes me a little emotional because in height, like when it happened, I was just like, whatever, I'm like done. That's a pretty big like moment um, for me. But you know what, it was icing on the cake to know that my coach at the time didn't want to speak to me after I didn't hit my marks and like, was like upset at me, I guess. And I was just like, wow, this person has no idea what I'm dealing with and they don't care um, to like, you know, internally I'm like, that was my last race, I'm done. But they're like, they didn't hit their times. What's wrong with them? And I was just like, the disconnect here is so strong. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, the next week I went in to talk with my coach, you know, you could have like one-on-one meetings and things like that. And I remember saying like, the pressure is too much. Um, I need a break from this. So I, I forget the way I phrased it, but I sort of said I need a break. And I'm feeling like I'm in a, I saw this, I'm in a pressure cooker and I feel like it's going to explode. And I remember getting so angry because my coach said to me, well, we're going to have to tighten up the screws then. And I was just like really upset because clearly they had no idea what was going on with me. And sure, it's not my responsibility. It could be my responsibility to like openly speak, but to not like understand what your athlete is saying and feeling and to say like, well, let's add more pressure. It's just like complete like tone deaf, I guess, in a way. I kind of like walked out of the office saying like, I'm going to need a, a break. I think I might've said like a week. I don't know what I said, but I knew it was over. Like I just said that to make it easier. That was quite a relief to walk out of the office and know I didn't have to go to practice the next day. It's unfortunate from my standpoint to hear yeah, another story just like yours, uh, because there's this I I call it like a plague in the coaching world, unfortunately, where you have athletes that once loved a sport and all of a sudden you combine all the competitive side of things, which don't get me wrong, competition can bring out the best and it can be fun and exhilarating, but you're there to compete for your team and you're there to compete with your coach, right? When you go out and you accept your award, you don't just go out your own on your own. Your coach comes with you and afterwards your team wants to get pictures with you, right? You're standing on the shoulders of those who helped you get to that point. And it's unfortunate when, in some cases, those individuals get so hyper fixated on the results and the outcome and the performance that they forget, you know, that in life, it's not just humankind, it's humankind. And you have to be both at the same time. It really makes me think back to a podcast we did recently with Dr. Frank Dick, who has been trying to reverse some of these trends that we're seeing in the coaching world. And, you know, we, at the time, we're talking deeply about coaching. And we we think that coaches, sometimes, at, at least the majority of the time, we can't speak for everyone, but the majority of the time, most coaches mean well, but they just don't have the knowledge and understanding to put what they want to happen into a step-by-step plan to put that into action, I'll say. So for example, very few college uh, coaches that I've talked with 
have an understanding of exercise and exercise load and volume, like we talked about before. Very few co uh, coaches have an understanding of psychology. So mm -hmm. understanding like the words that you say as a coach to your athlete and how you approach a situation with an athlete is going to impact and weigh on that person's mind day in and day out over and over again, because they are very focused on the sport. That's why they're there. That's why they're part of, you know, the 7% that made it to college at all, right? Because not everyone makes it. So I think that, you know, in general, kind of reviewing some of those um, for, for coaches out there, take time to look at yourself in the mirror and make sure that everything you're doing matches what the athletes expect of you and look into guys like Frank or look into different books that are out there to help you become better at what you're doing. Because far too often, and this applies to more than just coaching, but we like to settle for being where we're at and being good enough. You know, well, you know, I coached someone to nationals, so I'm just going to keep doing what worked for that person because, hey, I've succeeded, right? Point blank, stop right there, pump the brakes. And, you know, that that's that's their coaching career. They just hang their hat on. I had one success. So I'm going to do everything that I did for that one success over and over and over again for every person going forward. What in reality, every athlete is different and what an athlete needs to succeed is going to look a little bit different each time. And that's what separates a good coach from a great coach is the willingness to change the coaching approach and coaching strategy, maybe even go into things that are uncomfortable for them in order to get the best for the athlete or for the team standing in front of them right then and there, right? It's not about, you know, what worked for one person 10, 15 years ago. It's about what's going to work for the person standing in front of you right here and now. Yeah, that feels pretty similar to my experience coming from a program that was really, like, really good. Um, I know that, you know, our, our team had a reputation. We went to nationals for 10 years straight. Um, and there were individuals that went to nationals, placed really well. And like my team had a reputation that there was always someone, a very good talent. Um, and to just give some evidence of like how the, the point you made about how no athlete can be the same as the the previous successor it is it couldn't be more true um I honestly where I went to school it is a fact that the Liberty League has like rookies of the year and my school St. Lawrence was awarded many of the rookie of the year for cross country so to say it I would say like I got rookie of the year a woman above me got rookie of the year. The woman below me got rookie of the year and a couple others sprinkled in there. Um, they all quit. And that's all I have to say. Like it is, um, I mean, there's not much else to say than just the fact that the people who seem to have a lot of success quit. Yeah. And it's unfortunate to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's again, sad that so many had, you know, what they once loved and wanted to pursue even at a higher level and continue to do for the rest of their life or longer into their life, I'll say, had that cut shorter than they initially wanted or initially intended. Mm -hmm. But at least in your case, in your sense, it seems like that turned into something that became a opportunity for you to explore 
-hmm. other avenues and other things that you might not have gotten into had it not been for running, right? You started doing things that you loved again and you kind of rekindled your love for art, it looked like. Is that Mm -hmm. sound right so far? Yeah, yeah. So when I initially quit the team, um, kind of strange feeling. I mean, all of a sudden you have so much time. Like I never realized how much time it took up until I wasn't doing it. Um, And it's funny because you're a student athlete, right? I'm no longer an athlete. And I'm like, oh, I'm just a student. And it was funny because for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was actually able to, I mean, I would say like a lot of athletes are very good students, especially, I mean, the woman on my team, we had like a very high team GPA. So it wasn't like we were just like slacking, finishing our assignments, whatever. But once I stopped doing um, athletics, I was able to actually dig into my academics. And like, I hate to say that that's true, but it is like when you're on a team, it kind of just seems like you're finishing the assignment to, to focus on running or like, you're just like, oh, let me turn this in so I can like get to the gym or do whatever. But for the first time I was able to actually enjoy studying. Like that sounds crazy, but (laughs) I really liked it. Um, I was able to actually like you know, not, not just like finish an assignment, but actually learn, you know, (laughs) like take the time to put in the effort in a research paper. Um, I was also an art major. So putting in the time in the studio was huge. I never had the, you know, the extra hours to do that. I was always like pressed for time, always pressed for time. So I was finally able to paint a lot more in the art studio on campus. Um, enjoy honestly, anything else in my life. (laughs) was so much better because I had time to actually relish in it and didn't have that like extra thought in my head of like oh my god but like running I gotta do this like can't hurt myself I gotta stay gotta stay in my prime that didn't matter it's like I can do whatever I want you know at first it was difficult definitely strange not to have that that sport um and not to be working out anymore that was a whole nother thing um just to feel like oh my god I'm not working out this is terrible I ended up joining intramural basketball team that winter and it was so fun. I was like extremely competitive. (laughs) I needed to be (laughs) and um, did that. And then I started to find ways to move my body that were not intense because my body, after I quit running, I felt like it honestly took a year to heal. I was just talking about this last night at my running club locally um, that when I stopped running, I realized one, it's not normal to have your legs ache all the time. Like it was honestly strange to feel energized when normally you like put your feet up and they hurt so badly. Like it was the absence of the pain was bizarre, but honestly crazy to realize that that's normal not to have pain in your life. Like who would have thought? (laughs) But um, So yeah, I was able to paint more. Um, I started doing a lot of other activities and sports. Um, I hula hoop, which is like, not just around your waist, but it's like a way you can like dance with a hula hoop. Um, So that's really important for me to find ways to move my body that are not so intensive. Um, After running competitively, I feel like I struggled a lot with not valuing um, activities that weren't intense. So I would think like, oh my God, I got to get my six mile run or else it's not good enough. Or like, you know, cause you're doing something so intense already, but you don't need to, like you just can chill out. <laughs> so I would um, go for bike rides, um, 
and eventually tried to start running again, which was honestly very difficult. And it was very comforting to see in my TikTok video that a lot of people struggled with getting back to running after quitting um, because sadly it, it has such a scarring effect on some people that when they start running again, a lot of those emotions come right back up. And that was definitely true for me. Um, you know, a lot of those negative voices in your head when you're running, you're like, oh, like this isn't fast enough. Like I'm not good enough. Um, you know, I'll never be fast again. You know, you just have so much negativity around the sport. Um, or maybe it just brings up too many bad emotions. Like, I mean, for me, I would start running and like kind of tear up because um, I was like, wow, this is something I really used to do. And now look at me, whatever. But now I don't care. <laughs> I run locally for a um, running club and it's casual and it's competitive as much as I want it to be. And that's the whole point. It's as much as I want it to be. And it doesn't matter if like, you know, I don't have to like obey to some like coach or some like program. It's just like, well, if I don't want to run, I don't have to. And if I want to go hard, I can. Right. Exactly. You're in control. And I love that you made the point about intensity because we have this belief that, you know, in order to get better at something, I need to constantly be pushing myself, pushing myself, right? You know, if I need to get better at running a mile, then I need to go out there and I need to run a mile as hard as I can every day. And eventually I'll get better at it. Right. right. And as I mentioned before, we did a podcast episode before where we uh, dug deep into what's called the 80, 20 uh, mm -hmm. rule with running, which bas basically says 80% of your running should be at a low intensity. And by low intensity, you know, if you're someone we, we calculated it based on me, which I'm a bad example, I'm slow as heck. Right. So I could run like a six or seven minute mile competitively, which is again, slow, but in order for me to train following the 80, 20 principle, then 80% of my running would be a nine minute, 30 second mile or slower, which to mm -hmm. a lot of people is backwards because it sounds painfully slow. And it's like, well, you're not running hard. You're not running fast. So how are you getting better? And you, you realize that sometimes the training that you're doing for movement is not just about running faster or running at a higher intensity, right? You want to train to get your body better at that activity. So the more you do it, the more efficient your body will be at it. But that doesn't mean that you're going to want to go out there and do more at the highest intensity possible, because then one, you're not able to sustain as long. And two, you're going to need time to recover. Mm -hmm. If you don't recover in time, then you're going to start seeing symptoms of under recovery over and over and over again. And we don't have to go into detail on those. But for those listening, you know, especially females, if you start noticing like aches and pains throughout your body, like that are constant and don't go away. If you start noticing like loss of period mm -hmm. or, you know, decreased sex drive, that kind of stuff, like that ain't normal, especially mm -hmm. if you're, you know, in the younger, like, you know, 20, 30 age range, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that needs to get talked about and addressed, but it doesn't. Yes. That like, thank you for saying that so much because I hate how a lot of those things are like normalized in running and especially like I mean the running like world I guess I was in it could be different for everyone but at least for me it is not normal like I said when I stopped running to 
not have my legs ache felt bizarre. Like I was so baffled that people live like that. And I just, I hate that how many women on my team, the amount of stress fractures that were had, the amount of people that had periods that were like missing, um, the anemia, which is an iron deficiency, um, things that are like normalized. I, well, I mean, some of them are common. They, I mean, it's more common to happen in distance running, but it should not be accepted as good. Um, it, it really upsets me that people don't realize that it's bad for your health to have those things happen. And especially like with the whole like aching thing and if your body is hurting, it hurts. And if your coach doesn't honor that, then they need to honestly figure out their sciences because it is not good to train on something that is not feeling well. And it is also not good to, at least in my program, if you weren't feeling well enough to run, you would cross train, which makes sense. But the cross training was absurd. It was like three times the time of a run. Like it was like over trying to compensate for not running, but like overdoing it. And it just, it makes me honestly quite upset that that was like preached as normal um, because it's unhealthy. And like running is seen as something that's healthy, right? Like people think like, oh, running, like you must be so healthy. But it's like, honestly, I look back and I think some of those things were very unhealthy. And I think it's like good for people to kind of like think like think twice about that and um, really try to figure out what's best for their body because everybody is different. Um, and we've said that earlier, like just because, you know, some people on your team may be doing X amount of miles a week does not mean it's good for you. Like some people's bodies maybe can't handle that and you still can perform fine. That's all right. Right, right, exactly. And you have to keep that long haul game in mind, right? Like, unfortunately, there will come a time when whatever athletic endeavor you're competing in, it will eventually come to an end, right? Yes. Even the, even the greatest, you know, professional athletes like Derek Jeter in baseball, one of my favorite players ever, he eventually retired and he hung up his cleats, right? Right. There comes a time where it all comes to an end. And you have to realize what kind of life do you want for yourself at that point? Because if you do it right, you'll be able to perform and compete at a high level and then continue to perform mm -hmm. at a high level later on. I mentioned Scott McGeary before, and I like to keep bringing him up because he's a great example. He ran in college, you know, very competitive, all that sort of thing. But he is in his 30s now, and he's faster now than he was in college. Yes. By a long time. Awesome. So he's someone who took what he learned, but he kept it in balance and he kind of mm -hmm. kept with it consistently. And now he's better than he was then. Now on the flip side, you've also got people like Ronnie Coleman, who Ronnie Coleman was one of the best, if not one of, if one of the best, if not the best bodybuilder of all time. And unfortunately, if you look at him now, he's struggling just to walk because mm -hmm. of how much damage he's done to his lower body. Mm -hmm. And it's sad to see that someone's love for something has literally impacted them to the point where they're struggling to walk. Mm -hmm. But that's the truth of the matter. And we need to keep that long-term, long-term meaning like bigger picture, rest of life in mm -hmm. mind as we go through any kind of athletic endeavor, or as we're coaching someone and so on. I mentioned before uh, about Dr. Philip Prince's work and the podcast we did with him. What I didn't mention is although the high carb and the high fat diets, right? So the keto 
type approach versus the, you know, more traditional, uh, what we think of as like, I don't want to call it like runner diet, but basically mm -hmm. high carb, high sugar, a mm -hmm. lot of grains, pasta, that kind of stuff. The health outcomes, when we look in bigger picture, seem to be better amongst people who went with a more high fat, low carb type approach. Mm -hmm. And what it kind of made me think of is when we excessive amounts of carbohydrates, right? If we eat way more than we need, then we have higher blood sugar, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then our body's going to secrete insulin, which is going to drop blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. Well, when we exercise, we need to increase our blood sugar levels mm -hmm. because that's going to keep us running and moving forward and that sort of thing. So naturally, when you're slamming, you know, high carbohydrates, foods and snacks and that sort of thing, seven, eight, nine times a day, and you're running at a high level over and over and over again, it sets your body up for disaster in its ability to process carbohydrates and act in an overall healthy metabolic state. Mm -hmm. This is something that Ben Greenfield talks about in detail in his book, Beyond Training, where he starts with a tale of two endurance athletes. Essentially, he paints a picture of what, you know, your traditional, normal, what we think of as an endurance athlete looks like. And then he paints another picture of someone who trains a little bit smarter, eats a little bit smarter, and does, you know, just a little bit, I, I, I don't want to say more, but does things a little bit smarter mm -hmm. in that they listen to their body, they recover, they don't overload their training. They do just enough to get better, minimum effective dose, they eat right, all these different things, and just where that takes them later in life. And it's amazing how different the bigger picture of life or longer term in life, what that can look like for people who have it dialed in from the start versus those mm -hmm. who end up on that roller coaster ride throughout, I'll say. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny how that that's seen as like revolutionary, you know, right. take time off. Like, it just makes me laugh a little, but I think like, you know, a lot of people on my TikTok video were commenting, I'm in the same situation. What do I do? Um, things like that. And I'm just like, woof, like that's tough. But my point is that balance is key to see that there's a lot more to life than just the sport you're in. For me, when I was in it, I was like, oh, it could be the end of the world if I stop. But then, I mean, big picture, think big picture, like big, big picture. This is a college sport. It's going to end, right? And you can keep doing it. Like, like you said, you have one runner who's very talented, ran in college, continues to do well. Running is a sport where you can do it wherever. You can enter races whenever you want. Sure, it's a different setting, but you can always continue it. So keep keep it in check, dial it back, you know? And two, I think that it can be very difficult for people to see the big picture, which is unfortunate. And I really wish that it was easier for people to see the big picture, but when, you know, it's competitive, it's a whole lifestyle. It's kind of hard to see outside of it. And earlier I mentioned um, kind of like when you're in the tunnel, like you've got tunnel vision, you're in it, you're in that world. And when I quit, I was outside of it and I could see everything. I could see all the red flags. You know, I was like, this is so bad. This is that and that. But my teammates, I would be like, hey, like, don't you think that was kind of weird? What X and Z, whatever, what they said. And they're like, I don't know. They're just doing their job. And I'm sitting here like, 
oh no, this is like not good for you, this and that. You know, when the teammates later on quit, they're like, oh my gosh, like, what was I doing? And I think that like, that's trying, I mean, I'm trying to put out a message for people in a similar situation to try to think bigger. Um, it is great that you can do your sport, but think like, what else do you like doing? Like, how can you practice other parts of yourself and like nourish other aspects of your life besides just your athletics so that it it gives you something to fall back on when you stop. Cause there are some athletes um, that may quit and they don't know what to do. And that's a very difficult thing. Like, at least for me, I was like, all right, like I'm gonna really like get into my academics. I'm gonna go to the art studio. I'm gonna paint a lot. But for some people, honestly, their sport has like cornered them so much that it's everything. And it might even include like their major. Maybe they chose an easier major because they wanted to do a certain um, sport. But like my advice, I guess, that I really want to push to people is to find a hobby to chip away at the small that you can build at besides running. I mean, it's important in any aspect of your life to have something to build towards. But I just like really hope that, you know, people aren't in that situation where they have that complete identity loss when they stop doing their sport. Because, you know, I, I think I said this in my TikTok, but you are so much more than the sport you do. And in your case, art was definitely one of your big things. Art was one of the things that made you realize just how much more you have to offer mm -hmm. to those around you and to the world in general, right? And what amazes me about art is it's the kind of thing that it's timeless, right? Mm -hmm. We see museums where there's pieces from hundreds of years ago and people still get fascinated by it. People try and, you know, you look at it and everyone interprets it slightly differently. It, it's, there's not really much else like art in the world. Tell us a little bit about your art journey and how that's kind of evolved and kind of what your overall focus is with that. Right. Um, so like I was saying, I was always like painting in college and I, I painted in high school. And in college, I, I have, I had two majors. I majored in communication studies as well as art and art history with a combined focus on like studio and art history. And I think that, you know, honestly, when I quit the team, I could actually be in the studio. And I don't know, it's something like funny, like sports and art seem very opposite to one another. Um, but it was really nice once, once I had all this time to be able to be in the studio and paint all the time. I created so much and for me like artwork has always or painting has always been a great expression of feelings that can be difficult to convey um you know some people have a journal that they write in for me it can be a paintbrush um I love to express myself in ways that you know it's really satisfying to express yourself through art and to see it and feel validated in like what you made and what you feel um, because no one will understand your experience. And for me, like art is extremely validating um, to like look at my paintings in my room all around me and to think like, I did that, that's me, that's awesome. You know, for me, like taking the art very seriously has ultimately been like awesome since quitting running. Um, I feel that people may think like, oh, art, like you were so good at like, this bothers me. People are like, oh, you were so good at athletics and now you paint, like what a, change up and I'm just like what like it's a totally different game you know what I mean like painting is a skill that takes time and effort to build just like a sport would um and I take pride in that and just being like yeah I love to paint I'm an artist and 
also, um, so I did um, a couple honors projects in college with my art. I have like a hundred paintings in my room. Um, it's been That's a really, awesome. Yeah, it's really satisfying to work at. Um, and I don't know, it's the, the art world is a difficult game to break into, but I've been happy to be able to, you know, like have a couple internships in the arts, um, work at a museum. Um, and now I, I live in Detroit, which has a really big art scene. So I'm really grateful for that. But currently it's just been really nice to have the time to focus on getting my art out there. Um, I have like a, an interview on Friday and people are going to come and talk to me about my art. So I'm really excited about that and to like reshape my narrative and, you know, create the narrative I want for people, which is to see me for my talents that I want them to see. You know, it's not running anymore. It's art. And that's awesome. Um, so for me, it's been a big project of mine to make a website by hand, take photos of my artwork, document it, and like really try to like the whole social media game with the art, which is difficult. But yeah, it's awesome. And I love it. It definitely is. And I think it speaks volumes to your create creativity level too, right? Mm -hmm. So you take things like, you know, take a sculpture that you've done, for example, and you probably mm -hmm. use, I'm going to just kind of assume here, I'm going to guess you use probably some wood scraps, you probably use some paint, and you probably use kind of whatever else you can gather, right? I've seen people use strings and mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And to a lot of people, that's, you know, nothing, right? They mm -hmm. see a wood scrap, and they say, okay, you know, I'll burn that later, or they see, you know, leftover string or whatever, and they think, oh, I'll just throw that out. But you find a way to take those things and turn them into something somehow in some magical way that people like to look at that makes people marvel and makes people think like you know what 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 was she thinking when she made this or you know what impact does this have on me or what is this trying to tell me and they start mm -hmm. to analyze it a little bit deeper but that all started as something that was for lack of a better way to put it nothing it was just a mm -hmm. couple pieces of this that and the other thing but you have a way, a knack of taking nothing and turning it into something that amazes people and wows people and captivates people. And to me, that's a very powerful thing. And not everyone has that, unfortunately. Like you look at someone like myself and you ask me to try and do anything artistic and, you know, you're going to be blinded. I mean, I'm, I'm not good at it at all. So. Well, thank you. I think like, for me, one of the biggest compliments is honestly with the art for me, most satisfying thing is for people to look at something and to see me in that um, because everybody thinks in their own way. But when somebody's like, wow, what were you thinking? That's so interesting. Like, tell me your thought process. It's amazing that people like take interest in that. And like, for me, that's the most satisfying thing. Like I had a friend that was looking at my paintings um, my senior year and she was like, oh my God, it's like, I can see you in your paintings. Like I can like, I see like who you are and how you think in these paintings. And I, oh, that was the best thing I've ever heard in my life because <laughs> talk about like validating your emotions and who you are as a human. It's like, wow, someone can see my thought process in something externally. Like, wow, that's awesome. So yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. For people who want to check out your art and your works that you've done so far, where can they find out more about you? Or for people who want to just stay in touch with you and follow your journey, where can yeah. they find you? 
Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at Mary Terhune Art, Mary, and then T-E-R-H-U-N-E Art. Um, I have a website with, you can buy prints. You can also like look at my paintings. Um, I'm on TikTok. I think my TikTok name is Mary, Mary T Art, I believe. Yeah, I definitely have all the social media and I'll, I'll follow up on the podcast with all of those with Dan. But yeah, I'd love to like keep the conversation going and been super happy that people have reached out. And honestly, I've gotten so many DMs with people saying, can't thank you enough with what you said. I feel the exact same way. And I did not think anyone else felt this way. And for me, that's awesome because when I was in that situation, it was very isolating. So it's really nice that people can have someone that they can look up to and realize that it's going to be fine. <laughs> it is, it is. And you know, to me anyways, that's a big piece of what life is all about, right? It's not about, you know, blazing your own path and trail forward, but sometimes it's about those that you bring with you along mm -hmm. the way, along your journey, because, you know, regardless of what endeavor you embark on, you can find a way to get to the top of that, right? You can find a way to scale the highest peak in the world if you wanted to, but what's the view going to be like if you don't have anyone to share it with when you're at the top? Mm -hmm. I like that. That's my deep closing thought. I apologize. I should have warned you to put your boots on before I got deep there. No, I love Mary, well, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure working with you. Thank you mm -hmm. again for your time and for coming on the podcast. Yeah, of course. It was great talking to you all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.